We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL Divisional Round Recap. That is what we are talking about today on Rotoviz Overtime. We are talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, the fallout from that. The Packers obviously coming up a little bit short to the 49ers. We'll talk about what maybe the young players of the Packers, who we want to have for the future. We'll be looking at the fantasy football aspect ahead of 2024. A lot of players this week, Sean, that really caught the eye in terms of we had anticipated them being really popular, really players we would want to target for next year's drafts but you know put the final stamp on that i think this weekend maybe the likes of a, a gibbs in there in the conversation but we're going to talk through all of that sean's kansas city Chiefs, sean's uh, detroit lions both progressing we could get that there as a sean siegel super bowl scenario in a couple of weeks but sean an exciting weekend of games some really competitive games in that chiefs game and the 49ers game as i mentioned but Second time we've done this intro to you, just for the listeners to know, I forgot to hit the record button the first time around. But Sean, how are you feeling after the division run games? Good, right? I mean, your team blew it, so that was disappointing because not only would the Packers be through, which would be exciting, but that would have paved the way for the Detroit Lions to host the NFC Championship game with the big splits that they have. And with the fact that the Packers did not look particularly good in the divisional round, I think you would have had to like Detroit to go blitzing through them and into the Super Bowl. Of course, that's not what you picked, Colin. You said you felt the winner of I disagree, 49ers yeah. was going to make the Super Bowl. I, I do think that would have been, and I still think that is the case. I think it's likely to be the 49ers. We will do a little bit of a preview later in the week. We might even touch on it on today's show. But yeah, the Packers, Sean, slipped up. And, you know, this was a game I, I mentioned I was terrified of Christian McCaffrey heading into this one. Um that felt very true when he rushes along for his, uh, you know, 30 touchdown there. Coming up three points short in a situation like this where you are in the lead late in the fourth quarter is a better pill to swallow. But I think if we look throughout the playoffs, and it's not a case of like trying to look back and paint it in a different picture, but I think if you have said the Packers were going to go into the divisional round against the 49ers and on the road and lose by three points, I, I can see how you used the phrase blew it, but I also can see why they, they came up short. Um, some potential 
rookie errors potentially we could call them some true youth but i think there was a lot of positives to take from a game like this where i did have a fear that the packers could get blown out on the defensive side of the ball i thought they would probably need to put up 35 points to be competitive in this one so uh they kind of achieve things defensively that worked they also give up huge issues defensively that didn't work and that is the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the the Packers defense there were some things that Jordan Love I'm sure would like to have done much better in this game the forced interception in particular but uh, Sean's not going to jump in to give me a, a pep talk so Sean what was the bright spots from this game we we talked before we started about you know Brock I thought Brock Purdy looked pretty bad in this game he's 23 of 39 but the the win here I, I will give him credit the the pass to Joan Jennings the 21 yard completion I, I thought that was a really good throw into a really tight window but if he if he doesn't complete that they do not win this game I think that's where the the game really went into the the 49ers favor before that Christian McCaffrey touchdown so you mentioned next week but let's focus on now what what's key standouts here for the 49ers outside of Christian McCaffrey is there any well you mentioned that pass and it was a huge play and one of the things that you do want to keep in mind especially with a young player Brock Purdy is obviously still that right you have a poor game and he had an apocalyptically bad game I mean this is one of those games that makes it again just kind of hilarious in its own way that he was being discussed as not just a possible MVP candidate, but the guy who had to have been the MVP this season. Now, we're talking about like different sections of time in terms of what the MVP is for. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers has won multiple MVPs in which, if you would include the playoffs, he was you know not in the top 10 in terms of most valuable players on a season. But you have a game here where you have some weather. And so this is kind of like the Jared Goff effect where, you know, why are the Lions expected to go and struggle with the 49ers? I mean, in part, just that Jared Goff will be out of the very, you know, comfy confines there of the dome. He'll have to play in weather. And the expectation is that he'll play poorly. Well, the flip side of that is that his opponent could play very poorly. We just saw that with Brock Purdy, where in the elements here, he basically can't throw the ball at all again he makes the key pass and so that's the part because it keeps your team alive so the mental toughness there i think that you have to be really excited about as a 49ers fan because he plays a horrific game but he makes the key play he keeps the drive going and he allows the player who and this is kind of the thing that you know ben has mentioned several times on stealing bananas i mean the teammates think that christian mccaffrey is the mvp obviously people don't think running backs are valuable and can win MVPs in this day and age. We understand what the analytics say and how that works, but this is another clear example of why Christian McCaffrey was such a no-brainer to pick up. It's still very frustrating, I'm sure, for other teams who did not make that trade, that this guy is out there playing for the San Francisco 49ers. When you have this mix of attributes and you have these games, it's especially hilarious when you think about how so many of the teams approached the divisional round and you have teams like the 49ers and like the lions where they really did profit from having game breaking backs. You see Jameer Gibbs again, just with another sensational performance, almost unstoppable there for Detroit. You think about the Buffalo bills and how they decide to take the ball out of the hands of their superstar and try and lean on James cook. That was far less effective, right? So you go back to this game, Purdy plays just well enough for Christian McCaffrey to carry him. He gets the 29 opportunities. It's somewhat amusing that he's more effective as a 
runner than as a receiver, but certainly some of those seven receptions go for key drive extending first downs as well. Pretty disappointing, I think, to see Brandon Ayuk disappear in a game in which Debo Samuel gets injured. We talk a lot about how this team has a historically good supporting cast. As soon as you don't have Debo Samuel and you have a little bit of conditions, then, I mean, this offense looked very, very human. Column, those three drives early, this game could have been 21-7 to as opposed to 7-6. to The Packers were so good between the 20s in this game, especially until we got toward the end. That's the way football works sometimes. Even a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, and one of the things that they were struggling with until the end of that game was scoring touchdowns instead of field goals. You change some of those plays around, and it's an entirely different story. Certainly, you've got to be encouraged by Romeo Dobbs again. Aaron Jones comes in and has another fantastic game. He's given you a sense of why the Packers decided to stick with him, even at contract terms that in today's day and age really jump out as being odd right and they're paying him a bunch of money he's not necessarily even a full-time back in most of the games that they play but when you need him when you have some other injuries he can go out and be a game breaker that 53 yard carry that seemed like it was going to win the game for the Packers as he's running the ball there I'm thinking it's over right they're going to go ahead and score a touchdown they're going to go up 11 they're going to seal this game Unfortunately, at the key moments, Matt LaFleur, who has been, I think, the best coach in the NFL over the last month, maybe the last month to six weeks, he seemed to tighten up the plays on the drive where they turn the ball over on downs. They're not aggressive enough down there by the goal line. After Aaron Jones' long run in the fourth quarter there, they're not aggressive enough as they need to go in and seal the game. It sets up a situation where Jordan Love tries to do too much at the end and makes you know really one of his first terrible passes again of the last month to six weeks it's unfortunate to see the Packers go out there now this is a team that we expect to have a very very bright future we know about all of the young receivers it was another game in which the targets were very very spread six is the most there were three different players with six targets two more with four targets we know what the future probably holds but when I mean, you think about teams like the 49ers, for example, where they seem to be often close, but it ends up being no cigar. You think about this Buffalo Bills team with Josh Allen and now how far they into, are into their window, right? When you have a chance and when you appear to be a team of destiny, you want to grab hold of that destiny. And sadly, the Packers didn't do it in this game. And I just, I do think that the courage deserted the decision makers at the key times. You have to look no further as well, Sean. Another example of that is the Philadelphia Eagles who make the Super Bowl last year. And, you know, it's a common kind of trope after a team is in the Super Bowl and doesn't win, you know, oh, they'll have more opportunities or this quarterback will have more opportunities. And the reality is, it's like, even with Aaron Rodgers, you know, you win one, you don't really get back again. Like, it's just a case of, like, you sometimes only have that particular opportunity. And who knows? It feels like the future is, you know, bright and there's a long way to go for this Packers team. But maybe this was that opportunity you never you never can fully tell at this current time without you know having that advance to the future the same as you mentioned with the buffalo bills just on the 49ers side sean before the packers the thing surprised me that 12 targets to christian mccaffrey you mentioned seven receptions for 30 yards nine being the longest so not anywhere near as efficient as we would normally see them in the, the passing game the other part you mentioned was Ayuk with the six targets but once you you know they've game planned for two weeks 
heading into this one and you you know the the kind of three you're looking at there and the passing game outside of christian mccaffrey is iu kittle and debo samuel but you know samuel was out in the first quarter obviously i would imagine he was a, a massive part of this game plan and you're on to guys then like you know chris Connolly and ray ray mcleod um to try and back that up so it's gonna be tough there we'll see what they're like this week in the, the conference championship but i was really both against this packers secondary and also um especially when samuel went out i thought we'd have seen a lot more there from Ayuk on the packers side sean I, the the problem is when you settle for those field goals uh you know in the first and second quarter we did see against the cowboys last week they punched those in and you know that makes a massive difference to the obviously the flow of the game but they had to settle for those and then the the fourth down turnover and the red zone that you mentioned i, I like the aggressive nature to go for it and fourth down there the play call maybe not what wouldn't have been my favorite option but the other part of it is i thought that was a, a very bad spot for the packers of where the ball was i i'm not going to go and say that it was a first down but i think it was a very favorable spot to the 49ers from where it was given we've seen a few calls like that i think throughout the game there was one that the packers did challenge and overturn later on a, a jordan love quarterback sneak i thought love played pretty well in this particularly in the the first half but there was some aggression that they could have had particularly on those early drives that you mentioned in terms of going towards the end zone Dobbs again looked look good here the part I was probably most surprised about the whole game plan against the 49ers you really struggle against the inside linebackers and you know trying to put the ball between the numbers but you know targeting outside it's what the Packers did a lot in this but when we look through those players Sean with the targets uh Jaden Reed is one with four targets but you know you get two targets to Christian Watson who Feels like heading into the season should be a key part of this offense. Heading out of the season, although you know we're talking about hamstring injuries and so on, he wasn't on the injury report this past week. Finishes with the, the two targets, which between the two of those, out of the 33 targets, I would have expected them to have more than just the six combined. So um, maybe maybe that's something for the Packers to look at moving forward. The other issue with the Packers, if we're looking at which wide receiver Sean maybe we would want to you know have as on our dynasty rosters or looking ahead to some early best ball next year you're into a situation now where there's a lot of names on this list and Dobbs has really put himself back in the focus over the last couple of weeks you know at the start of the season Christian Watson had elevated above Dobbs and Jaden Reed they showed a graphic during the game where every month of the season a different wide receiver or tight end had led the Packers in receiving for that particular month and how are you feeling now entering the offseason as to which packers you would you know look to target or is it a case that there's almost too many to to make a confident call on that and you mentioned Aaron jones as well he is going to be back and he's obviously a, a veteran but the part has been he has not been the bell cow but it has coincided with him coming back and being healthy but also with aj Dillon being out uh, he has really been the bell cow over that those last um four games in particular i, I believe he is now the first packer and franchise history to have four 100 yard uh rushing games consecutively which seems bizarre that that is the case just four games to be the record holder but he, he had a, a great final stretch here the season we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. He looked really good. And that speed is the difference. We think so much about what works in the contemporary NFL. And you just have to have that speed back who, when the big play is there, when the chunk play is there, they can get that. That's what separates the teams who can use the running game to offset, hopefully, a a high success rate and occasionally explosive passing game from the teams that don't have that element and are going to have to be more pass heavy or simply going to have bad offenses. The receivers for the Packers are really interesting. As you mentioned, Romeo Dobbs had faded out of the conversation. And one of the issues there was this lack of explosiveness that he was demonstrating. And especially in an offense that has schemed receivers open and open by college football margins right guys who are running free with no one in the vicinity just over the (laughs) the center of the field if you're not one of those guys you're not getting those chunk plays and you also are not getting some kind of crazy volume underneath which he wasn't getting then the ability to play him in contrast to some of these playmakers a playmaker like a christian watson who can get open deep down the field and have again the chunk play Jaden reed who's having all of these splash places both a rusher and a receiver I mean, he just collapsed down the depth chart, but it's interesting to see, and this is one of the things we do occasionally get a window at when the other players were struggling with injuries. Obviously, Watson coming back and acting really more as a decoy, Jaden Reed having the injury that he suffered after all of the fireworks in week 17 and then not being effective subsequent to that. You then have to go back to Romeo Dobbs. And one of the things that we got from Dobbs is explosiveness and playmaking. And so when you're talking about a young player himself, when you're talking about a guy who was not an early draft pick, to see him be so much of a foundation type of player 
over the course of the first two years and then to ascend again when his team needed him the most, I think that you've got to be excited about that. Now, I do think that it's unlikely that he's anything more than a long-term, say, wide receiver four type of player because you expect this offense to evolve with Jaden Reed and Christian Watson as the playmaking receivers. You expect it to evolve with Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave giving you a lot from the tight end position. There's not necessarily going to be a ton left over after that, especially when you have interesting guys like Dontavian Wicks, like a Bo Melton, who scores an impressive touchdown in this game, fumbles both the ball and his feet a little bit, and yet is able to recover, execute the touchdown. I mean, sometimes that uncontested layup can be the most difficult one. He does get the key score there for them. So I think Dobbs is always going to be tricky, and especially when everyone is healthy, you're going into games and you're thinking, you know, am I going to have the play volume? Even in this game where you get the six targets, it does rely on that 38-yard gain to really get you up to where it's a viable fantasy performance in these games where you have the yardage and the touchdowns separated for the Packers receivers, you're going to end up with totals that don't really work. And so this is going to be fascinating to track because certainly all of the information that we have at this point suggests that Reed and Watson are the guys with the really, really high-end potential. I also do think that despite the relatively down finish for Reed, the fact that Watson struggled so much in his second year and does seem to have fallen behind Reed. When you had that unfinished and unpolished element to his game coming in, you have him struggling to run a ton of routes as a rookie, but then showing some huge playmaking ability when he does. You come back with a second year that's almost completely wiped out with injuries. It's going to be tough to look at him in the same light and have that same amount of confidence certainly it destroys his high-end trade value now you can go out and definitely try to acquire him in trades where he is the second or third guy in two for two three for three something like that and if you want to get exposure to an electric part of this receiving game and not have to pay for a read that is the way to do it i think you should be trying to acquire these guys when they're not a fit for the trade partner when you can get them on the cheap probably shouldn't be paying up for these Packers receivers in the offseason simply because there is so much uncertainty right now Jordan Love very clearly the guy that you want looks like a high-end super flex piece for the next I don't know hopefully for Packers fans next decade yeah hopefully hopefully uh, that will be the case Sean moving on to the Lions and the Buccaneers this was a game 31-23 to the Lions felt like it was pretty much in control towards the end it did obviously get to the point where an eight point uh, touchdown and two point conversion would have tied it up but that didn't get to be the case we did have baker mayfield sean 349 yards off 41 attempts 26 completions three touchdown two interception one of them being the final play of the game similar to very similar to the the love play i, I would say um and the packers game to finish that one golf two touchdowns but sean we're going to have to hit a few players. There's two players in particular that I want to talk about then at the running back position, but Mike Evans, 12 targets, eight receptions, 147 and a touchdown. I'm never all the way in on Mike Evans, but he is always impressing me with what he's able to do on the field. A big game from him and a, a losing effort. Kate Otten, Sean, who last offseason was somebody who I often joked about adding to the end of, you know, best ball rosters. We did it a few times, but, you know, eight targets, five receptions, 65 and a touchdown for him. He continues to, 
little something there at the tight end position. I was so happy to see um, uh, Sam Laporte out there. He does get a little, last week, not really involved this week, 11 targets, nine receptions for 65 yards. Amon Ra with a, a wonderful touchdown reception, nice pass from Jared Goff, eight for 77 and a touchdown on 14 targets for him. But Sean, the players that I wanted to talk about mainly here are Rashad White and Jamar Gibbs. Gibbs in this one on the ground has 74 yards on just nine attempts. He is a rushing touchdown. He's four for 40 through the air on four targets. And then White, five targets, four receptions, 36 yards, one touchdown. He has nine for 55 on the ground. So not as impressive, not the high upside I don't think that we have with Gibbs. Gibbs just looks amazing. Uh, what I love about Gibbs is when he's making some of these cuts and, and making some of these rush attempts, the commentators kind of are losing their composure as he uh, makes some of these cuts and how impressive he looks. But when we look ahead to 2024 drafts, Gibbs, I think over the last couple of weeks, and particularly if it was a situation where there wasn't a David Montgomery, if it was a case that the backup for the Lions was of a, a substantially lower quality, like we potentially see with the Packers situation, I think Gibbs is high up in the first round without that. Now, the, the expectations, I think, still have to be tempered with Montgomery there. But what are your feelings on where he could be in those drafts? And then White has been very impressive this season after that kind of early four or five week stretch and has sustained that with Baker Mayfield, who it feels like he will be back here with the Buccaneers next season. What's your kind of thoughts on, on those two running backs? Colin, watching Jameer Gibbs has just been absolutely awesome. It has been so much fun. It's also been really cool in light of the things that we said about him in last year's Road of His Rookie Guide, the way that we talked about him during prospect season. One of the things that you know, I always tried to emphasize as we were looking at Gibbs was that if it weren't for the presence of a guy that you know almost everyone believed to be a generational prospect, and I don't think the people were disappointed by Bijan Robinson as a runner even though you know as the season went along there were some plays where certainly you're watching and you're thinking i mean jonathan taylor probably breaks that or Brees hall is actually that plus so maybe generational isn't the right terminology there maybe simply Bijan robinson is going to be that kind of peak david johnson Le'Veon bell type of player once he gets two or three years into his career and plays for a real head coach, a real offensive coordinator. So we certainly haven't given up on Robinson by any stretch. He still looks like that type of guy, the guy who makes such a huge impact in, again, the contemporary NFL. But, I mean, Robinson would be somebody who would have made a massive impact at any stage in the football trajectory, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 80s, any time period Bichon is going to be the perfect type of running back but Gibbs a similar player and Blair especially made the case that probably better than Robinson and so to have felt that strongly about him as a prospect and to see him doing the things he's doing now and you know to get the hyperbole to the utmost limit I mean we've discussed him as being sort of like this mix between Jamal Charles and Christian McCaffrey well, I mean, obviously that, again, I mentioned hyperbole. That's about as far out there as you can possibly get. Now, Gibbs, not the same type of pure 
up the middle runner that a Jamal Charles was who could get through these little cracks and then go 60, 70 yards. And he's not the intuitive elite receiver that a McCaffrey is. I mean, McCaffrey more impressive as a receiver than almost all NFL receivers are gives a little bit more a guy where you're just hoping to get the ball in his hands out in space somewhere, as opposed to asking him to run extremely complicated routes. Not that he hasn't had a few plays that were impressive in that vein this season, but Gibbs ability to make a guy miss without ratcheting down the speed, right? And that's the thing that you would see from a Barry Sanders. It's the thing that you would see from a Jamal Charles where you can make the move without losing your momentum. And then that allows him to get to that high end speed so quickly. And he has the high end speed which most of the runners simply don't have. We think about Achan and all of the things that he did this year because he's a similar type of player where he has the elite speed. And if you don't have to slow down to make guys miss, then the subsequent player can't get the angle on you. That's one of the things that we saw repeatedly in this game where the Tampa Bay guys, they think that they're there or they hope that they're there, but you just can't get the angle on Gibbs. He's too fast. And it's fun to watch, right? And you think about zero RB through the years, it was never a thing of not enjoying elite running back play and to see what he's doing in 2023, obviously now moving into the early days of 2024. I love it. And I mean, the hard thing here is that we're actually like very mild David Montgomery fans as well. Montgomery, one of the things that he brings to you is the hybrid performance. So Montgomery gets four targets in this game, which probably not exactly how you would prefer to draw it up. And one of the things that you assume has to eventually happen here is that we get either more Gibbs or we get more passing and that Montgomery gets squeezed a little bit more because it's those Montgomery touches that are really hurting the lions in some of these games where they don't finish off the opponent. There was a time in the first half here where it looks like maybe the lions will go up 17 to three. Instead they punt, they give up the touchdown. It goes to 10, 10, they end up pulling away in this game, but you don't want to give a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that is good but not great, a team that's very clearly the weakest of the teams remaining in the playoffs. You don't want to give them a chance to have it be one half to make it to the NFC Championship game. Now, the Lions, thankfully, control that half, but we want to see more golf. We want to see more effective golf, right? And this is a very nice series of performances from him. And with Jared Goff heading to the NFC Championship game, I think you've got to be very enthusiastic about what he's done. But for him to throw 43 passes in the Dome with Amon Ra, with Laporta, with Gibbs, with Josh Reynolds even giving him a little something in the red zone, I mean, you want to see more than 6.7 yards per attempt, right? You want to see him go over 300 yards. You want to see him put up even a bigger score. You know, maybe that is unfair. Maybe asking for more than 31 points isn't appropriate but again you either want more points or you want them to finish that last drive not give the ball back to baker mayfield now obviously he throws the interception but you don't want to be in that position one of the cool things that you do get here is that the buccaneers convert on fourth down late when they're down by the two touchdowns they then go in and score they go for two that's the perfect way to play that because they don't get the two-point conversion, they've got a chance to get it on their subsequent drive. If they had gotten it, it puts even more pressure on the Lions. I think that you have to give Todd Bowles a lot of credit and call him 
Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, these are the two quarterbacks that you should be doing. Anything that you can to get inexpensively. You want to grind and grind and grind and super flex to get these guys because the Buccaneers and the Saints have playmakers. They have interesting coaching staffs in place or are going to put them in place. You're not going to get huge point totals from them, but you think about where we are with Jared Goff right now. Obviously, Mayfield and Carr probably a little bit lower end version of that and the Carr an older version of that. And yet, I mean, these are the types of players that you can get and play in that super flex spot, that QB2, lengthen out your lineup. Baker Mayfield is still, I mean, very much up in the air what he is even this far into his career. But one of the things you know you're going to get from him is a battler. For him to throw for 350 yards in this game, three touchdowns. Now, we know that one of the reasons the Lions are going to be fairly big underdogs against the 49ers is that their defense right now is still very much a work in progress. You think about some of the other teams, you think about that Bills Chiefs game, one of the issues there, both teams actually have very good passing defense. You think about the Ravens winning fairly evil, easily and moving on. They've got an elite passing defense. The Lions, the team remaining in the playoffs, the defensively have a lot of work to do. You take that, you put it in a dome, you have the Buccaneers in a trailing script yeah I mean you're going to end up with some of these stats like this but you still have to go out there and do it a lot of quarterbacks wouldn't Baker Mayfield sometimes a hard guy to like but sometimes a very easy guy to like and I think that you have to love what he did in this game even though he comes up short yeah uh the you a bottler is a good word uh, we talked uh at the start of the season with a few players we were talking about you know the competitive spirit that they were showing he definitely has that competitive fire and a very interesting player um, in terms of maybe easily acquire a ball and, and puts up a lot of fantasy points. Sean, I don't know if it was design or not. I, I mentioned Rashad White. Is he, is he anywhere on the radar for next season? We looked at how inefficient he had been up until this point of probably week four, week five, and then has been a lot better. I, I'm not talking you know, first, second round, but in that kind of third, fourth round range, he probably is a fit there. Rashad White is such an interesting one because his profile had pointed very strongly in opposing directions. And I certainly let myself get pulled in to the idea that if you're not going to be able to break tackles very effectively at the collegiate level as an older, bigger, athletic player, that's a pretty big red flag. And if you're going to go out as a rookie and really struggle, and he did, he looked terrible, right? They were trying to get away from Leonard Fournette last year and go to him, but he simply couldn't play. And so then you go through a rookie season where you're not able to break any tackles despite being a big athletic player. Then you can talk yourself into this story, which I think, again, is backed up by the evidence that this is one of those players who doesn't translate well from college to the NFL. And the fact that he had this receiving portion of his profile that was lurking that wasn't going to be relevant if you are simply not a starting caliber running back and not even not a starting caliber running back, but not a backup caliber running back from a pure runner perspective. Unfortunately, the element that turned out to be key was the size, the speed, the receiving ability. That's really three elements, right? And so then the time that he needs to develop as an NFL starter as a runner he got and that was in part because they didn't have other great options behind him you have Sean Tucker I think that Sean Tucker is actually a really good example of someone 
that a year from now we could be talking about in that Kyron Williams type of mold or even in that Rashad White type of mold where somebody who came in and wasn't ready. But then once you get that second year, you move into it and you break out. So I think that you want to keep some of those types of names in mind, but certainly what White has done across this season and what we saw him do again in this particular game, you love to see. And I feel bad about not having been on him for this season because in so many ways, he's the perfect example of a zero RB back. He's the perfect example of the type of player that I have always recommended at Rotoviz. And again, one of the things that you want to make sure that you do is to not get caught up in this that stat or that stat as being the be-all or end-all. Now, you want to keep the relevance in mind and certainly the ability to create plays on your own, whether that's broken tackles or forced missed tackles. We know that even though so many people in the fantasy community and in the analyst community place such a heavy emphasis on that it's still a little bit undervalued in the draft that was one of the things that blair wrote about in one of his fantastic wrong read pieces this year but even with that being the case when you have players with special abilities that haven't demonstrated maybe that aspect of it you want to be aware of what they're good at as opposed to saying well this one thing that we know is valuable they don't do well again that's too simplistic of a way to think about individual players to think about football to think about fantasy football don't fall into that trap right and i think that israel abanakanda is a good example there i wrote a very extensive piece on him and the kind of the contrast with roshan johnson heading into this offseason now unfortunately in both of those situations the guys kind of fall into depth charts that aren't perfect especially especially abanakanda who is behind maybe a guy who will go down as one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. But when you have standout traits, and that would be the thing that I would encourage people to look for is how does a particular player win and can they win in that area at a high enough level to make them fantasy relevant? And then certainly with a player like a Rashad White, when the price doesn't make it you know, sort of exorbitant to buy into the element where they succeed, he had a fantastic season. Congratulations to him. And I think that he's got an excellent career ahead of him as a viable NFL starter, if not probably a star. Because again, and we're not going to have Rashad White get the handoff and suddenly start breaking a bunch of tackles or forcing a bunch of missed tackles. That's not really what he does. And yet, and yet he can be a guy who is a very viable NFL starter and in many ways fits the mold of a valuable contemporary player more so than a back who is limited as a receiver but can go out there and break tackles and not gain yards that's the one profile that i really encourage people not necessarily to stay away from but to be very careful what you pay for it the guy who does break tackles but doesn't turn those tackles into yards and can't not that they can't catch passes but that they're not someone who can catch passes then gain yards and be a game breaker in that element at the nfl level Moving into what was, I think, Sean's highlight of the weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. A lot of talk made around Patrick Mahomes, you know, having home field throughout his kind of playoff tenure in Kansas City. But he gets the job done on the road. They won 27-24 against the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, uh, you know, both passing games in this, Sean, not not a huge amount, you know, going on. Mahomes 17-23 for 215 and two touchdowns. Both teams, no interceptions. Josh Allen 
26 of 39 for 186 and one so passing games kind of outperformed in this by the the running games uh combination for the chiefs rushing for 146 yards and a touchdown the combination for the buffalo bills 182 yards and two touchdowns those two touchdowns going to josh allen who had 72 rushing yards in this one a lot more plays for the bills in this versus the chiefs in terms of play volume we did have a couple of fumbles including one by mccall Hardman right down at the one yard line goes through the back of the end zone gives the ball back to the buffalo bills in that particular instance but we get a solid performance here by isaiah pacheco again 15 for 97 and a touchdown for him but sean i mentioned at the start of the show maybe players who may have looked throughout the latter portion of the season that maybe their their prime is behind them we have travis kelsey five receptions on six targets in this one for 75 yards and two touchdowns he shows up big time here for the kansas city chiefs the other part i guess i would be surprised about is rishi rice just having the four targets four receptions 47 yards for him had been so much more heavily involved but i guess the the low pass attempt volume we have travis kelsey with six targets four for mbs four for rice and then noah gray on three everyone else one or none beyond that on the other side it really was josh allen's performance but khalil shakir again sean getting involved nine targets for seven receptions but only the 44 yards on those seven but one of those being the buffalo bills receiving touchdown digs eight targets three receptions 21 so the, the bills defense and you mentioned that both teams having good pass defenses they kind of shut each other down from that element what stood out for you between between both teams here um and what should listeners be looking ahead to here well this was a really interesting game in that it gave you both the advantage but also exposed the huge disadvantage of a team that kind of goes away from their strengths leans into maybe a a matchup advantage that they have in the particular game i really think that the bill's decision to switch coordinators probably lost them this game and a shot to win the super bowl now maybe regardless of who's a coordinator they're going to approach it this way but i thought it was absolutely crazy that you have the commentators talking about how the bills are going to lean into the running game and control the game that way you know i'm watching the game obviously with friends and family and everybody's saying well you know if you can run the ball that successfully why would you ever pass that's all well and good right up until you have a 31 play advantage and you're not scoring the points that you need i mean this is a game where the chiefs average three yards per play more than the bills and again your objective is to win and so if you're saying okay well the bills ended up with more yards they ended up with this huge advantage in time of possession they kept patrick mahomes off the field it's like yeah you did accomplish those things and yet you lost you lost and you lost in part because you at least to an extent took the ball out of the hands of josh allen now i'm sure they're going to look at it and be like well we ran so many total plays that we still got in 39 passing attempts and he only threw for 186 yards so the issue here is more that josh allen didn't get the job done right i mean you look at this game and he throws for a touchdown he runs for two touchdowns what he did as a runner was extremely impressive, although 
there's a, a risk there. You know, you talk about, well, we're going to run the ball so we avoid these interceptions that Josh Allen likes to throw in key moments. Yeah, he's a playmaker, but we can't trust him. I mean, that was kind of the mentality that the Bills used over the second half of the season. And while it worked in that stretch, it's still a problem because, I mean, if you're going to build a dynasty, and obviously the Bills are not going to, right? I mean, they've blown their window here at least to a large extent. Now, I mean, I'd be ecstatic for them if they come back out and they win next year, they win the year after. You have Josh Allen. You have an overall good front office and strong franchise. You've got a shot. But I just, I think that there was so much about this game plan that ends up being capitulatory. I mean, you've got Josh Allen and you're going to put this game in James Cook's hands. I mean, you have some stretches in this game where the bills are running effectively. They have a drive early on where they go down and run the ball with ease. They score to go up 10 to three. You're feeling at that point, like, well, maybe this is going to work, but in the end you get what you assume that you're going to get from the running game, which is that James Cook rushes the ball 18 times and gains 61 yards. You got a chance to beat the Kansas city chiefs. You're playing at home. That cannot be your approach. Unfortunately, James Cook also drops what, you know, might have been a touchdown pass and it's down there by the goal line. There is a defender or two. You know, they may still give him a pretty good shot. But I mean, this is a game that the Bills just have to have more, right? The thing that we talked about a lot this season, and it can be hard to believe in when the Chiefs are dropping pass after pass after pass after pass, and they're getting, you know, probably the worst play from a receiving core that the NFL has seen in a decade. It's hard to believe that the drops are still somewhat fluky, don't have a huge predictive element to it, and that Patrick Mahomes is still easily the best quarterback in the NFL. And yet, I mean, that's what you see in this game. Suddenly, MVS doesn't drop a couple of chances, and the Chiefs' offense looks unstoppable. You have Mahomes go for over nine yards per attempt, zero sacks, two touchdowns. I mean, this is on the road at Buffalo against an elite Buffalo pass defense and i mean again he's absolutely unstoppable there's no answer for the bills i mean this game ends up not even being particularly close <laughs> if for whatever reason andy reed doesn't run a play to mccall hardman I mean, the chiefs blew a lot of chances here in this game as well hardman has to not actually score but you got to go down right the only thing you can't do at the one yard line is fumble especially on an early down play the other uh, thing the one thing you can't do sean is not fumble but fumble it into the end zone fumble it out of bounds if you want like laddering the ball backward over your shoulder for a touchback is probably not the play there it is tricky too for i I can see in those situations you know we we did see for example t higgins's touchdown which was incredible earlier this season where he like stretches like you're always just a little bit away from that being a disaster but when you're in that situation with i think the the key is for the chiefs there don't give that to mccall hardman the fake on that play, Sean, is to Rishi Rice. Just give the ball to Rice and let him run it. <laughs> so. And, you know, all of that said, I mean, the Bills do have the elite pass defense. They hold all of the Chiefs receivers individually down. I mean, you, only, you hold Travis Kelsey to only the six targets. Now, he's very effective on those targets, but they didn't let this game get away from him there. They hold Rishi Rice to four targets. I mean, there are things that they can do here but the Chiefs very effectively scheme around that, move the ball at will, score a lot of points, should have scored more points. You have Isaiah Pacheco 
really emerge in the second half and put his signature on this game late, both scoring the touchdown and running out the clock there. I, I just think that you have to make more plays as Buffalo in the passing game when you're at home, when you have Josh Allen, when you have Stephon Diggs. I mean, Diggs has the eight targets, only the three receptions. He kind of fills the MVS role in this game where he has the deep target that is on him. He goes up for it. He doesn't make the catch. You go back through this particular performance and you can see very clearly that elite pass defense that Kansas City has built. And so that sets us up for a very interesting AFC championship game where, I mean, this is a Chiefs team that's coming off of a Super Bowl victory. And I think that you can argue pretty convincingly that with Rasheed Rice emerging, the offense is better than it was last year when they won the Super Bowl. And the defense is better by a margin that's not even comparable, right? So this is a much better Kansas City team than their Super Bowl version. The question here is, is that enough still playing Baltimore? Because Baltimore, a better team than anybody they faced on the AFC side last season. And certainly after we've seen some of the things the Eagles have gone through, the Ravens right now, even though they still have some problems in terms of their offensive skill positions, they're an interesting and difficult matchup the likes of with the Chiefs really haven't exactly seen during this run. So I think it's great that you get Patrick Mahomes on the road. It's awesome to see that he's exactly the same guy. I don't know why we would Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, think anything different. Obviously, Tom Brady mostly during this like two-decade Patriots dynasty, mostly they did that through home games. You think about one of the reasons that they were so successful, the AFC East wasn't very strong. And so as a result, that helps you not only win your own division, but also the softer schedule gets you into those top seeds to where you don't have to play too many games on the road. But I mean, were there games that they played on the road that were crucial to their success? I mean, the first AFC championship game that Patrick Mahomes gets to play is a home game against Tom Brady and they lose. Tom Brady goes on and wins that one. You're going to see that same thing from Patrick Mahomes during the course of his career. Next week, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens get a chance to prove that they are not Josh Allen and the Bills. Yeah, they certainly do. And that's the final game to talk about. Sean, you mentioned though, and it's fitting because if Patrick Mahomes gets to the Super Bowl here and wins another another Lombardi trophy he is he's very much in that Tom Brady conversation as we look forward uh, ahead of that but he has to get through Lamar Jackson and this Ravens team and the Ravens defense really shut down the Texans this week you know CJ Stroud just 175 passing yards they had 14 attempts in total for only 38 rushing yards so really close things out on the other side you know having a play advantage again and this one was the Baltimore Ravens but Lamar Jackson 152 passing yards with two passing touchdowns 11 rush attempts for him for 100 rushing yards two rushing touchdowns John 42 total rush attempts here for the Baltimore Ravens for 229 yards and those two touchdowns so then that leads to the passing game being relatively quiet uh overall Zay Flowers leading the way four for 41 but really spread out in terms of the players that had receptions in this and that the yardage totals but Sean this game is all about Lamar Jackson, uh, who's probably going to be the MVP here. But yeah, him versus Mahomes this week is is box office uh, stuff to see. And the big contrast week to week. And some of this I think you do get from the home in a way. But we think about C.J. Stroud facing that elite Cleveland Browns passing defense in the wild card round and how he was able to eviscerate them. And then you come out and he's just completely shut down by 
the Baltimore Ravens here. One of the things that becomes pretty obvious is just that they do need one more guy. And I don't think that that is news to anybody. It's unfortunate for them that Tank Dell suffered that injury. Robert Woods kind of playing at an embarrassing level right now. You have the situation where Collins, Singletary, and Schultz combined for 23 targets. Obviously, the 10 targets to Nico Collins, you like those, but he's going to be the defensive focal point. He only catches the five and has to really battle to do that. Devin Singletary you know, has a great finish to this season. He's someone who probably is always going to be a little bit underrated, and yet throughout the course of his career, the receiving game has not been where he excelled. He does have a pretty good game in this one, but certainly if he's going to be that involved in your passing game, it is a problem. You get seven targets to Dalton Schultz. He's not a playmaker. He has a bad drop in this particular game. I think there's a possibility that you're going to get Houston adding maybe not a star receiver. Those are always difficult to add. If teams could just go out and add a star receiver, you know, as something that you just check off your to-do list, we'd see it happen, you know, much more frequently. But Colin, imagine a scenario in which the Texans do add someone who makes a difference. And suddenly you have Collins, Dell, and that third receiver to go with the C.J. Stroud. One of the things that I felt like we saw in this game, you think about the 19 for 33, 175 yards, he averages barely over five yards per attempt, but doesn't take a sack, doesn't throw a pick. It's a blowout loss, and yet Stroud definitely not the worst quarterback performance of this weekend. Now, you know, you have the weather in San Francisco, but you go back and you look at some of the big mistakes in addition to the inefficiency in that 49ers Packers game, you could certainly argue that Stroud played better than both of those quarterbacks. Think about where he's going to be a year from now. The future still extraordinarily bright for the Texans. I love to watch CJ Stroud play football. And even in this game where his team was just purely overwhelmed, he made some, you know, arm talent types of plays that are kind of hard to believe. You flip that over to the Ravens side, and we think about Ravens Chiefs. I mean, Lamar Jackson is, again, this type of player that gives the opposing team a chance. One of the things that the Chiefs have been able to do is they've been able to overcome a player like Josh Allen in the playoffs. They've been able to overcome a player like Jalen Hurts in the playoffs, but certainly a guy who brings this type of rushing ability it's unique, right? And that type of threat can't be neutralized simply by taking away the receivers. This isn't a good game for any of those players. You have four for 41 by Flowers as the best that they're able to do. Now, obviously, Jackson doesn't have to throw a ton of times. There's not a lot of pressure on them. And yet you think about the first half of this game, especially with that special team score for the Texans. I mean, this isn't a game where the Ravens blew out Houston from the very beginning. You would have loved to have seen them be more effective, either running the ball or passing the ball. Flowers, Bateman, likely Aguilar, Beckham. I mean, this is a team that does need Mark Andrews, but you have Lamar Jackson, the 11 carries, the 100 yards, the two touchdowns as a runner. That portion of it makes him an unstoppable fantasy force. It also gives them a reality edge when you combine it with that elite defense that certainly makes them the favorite of the four teams remaining. Now, you can argue that the 49ers have a much easier path because they have the Lions instead of the Chiefs. Baltimore, Kansas City, this is the headlining game of everything remaining, including, I would argue, the Super Bowl. If the 49ers win the Super Bowl convincingly, they, they will. 
uh, prove that that statement has gone well wide of the mark. But I'm very excited about the two championship games. And Colm, at the beginning of the season, we predicted Lions-Chiefs with the championships to get games to go. That is still a possibility. Yeah, it's still a possibility. And the thing I always like when you get to the Final Four is no matter what way this upcoming weekend plays out, the Super Bowl is going to have two fantastic teams in it, which will give lots of talking points, lots of interesting things to watch. And that's what you want. Sometimes it can feel like a little bit underwhelming when you get to a point where there's potential teams that get there that maybe aren't going to be the most exciting to watch. But I, I think we're in for a treat this weekend and Super Bowl weekend as well. So that is going to do it for this edition of Road of His OT. We'll be back later in the week. The schedule in the offseason heading towards the Super Bowl and beyond may be a little bit different. We may be shaking things up here. So make sure you are subscribed to the Road of His Overtime podcast feed to get all the shows once they are available. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtomart. And my co host is Sean Siegel. Check out Sean's work up on roadofis.com. Until we are back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com